this morning. We're going to continue on. I'm, I'm going to take just a few minutes and kind of set this up before we get into our scripture. Uh, this past week, my wife and I were able to spend a week at uh, the training center um, at the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, to participate in, to sit under, and really just kind of soak in a Bible intensive. Uh, we it was 13 sessions over four days, uh, so there was there was a lot of information, but it was a great time of just being able to be poured into. Uh, be be trained, be have our uh, ourselves encouraged in song and in scripture, and one of the things that I've said to you from the very beginning, from the moment that I've been here, basically, is that I made a promise that I would do my level best um, to mind the Lord, to follow His leading, no matter what that looked like, no matter what time and uh, th- whether it was on my time frame or not, because I like to have things planned. You know, I like things going by a schedule. Uh, But sometimes God looks at my schedule and he laughs. Uh, But during this time, uh, we were in session one time and I was just praying and I, I was praying, God, send revival. Send revival. Whatever you have to do, send revival. And my question was, why not First Church? Amen? I mean, if revival is going to start anywhere, why not here? So I was, I was praying, pouring my heart out to the Lord. God, send a new level of revival. Send a new level of anointing upon this body. Just awaken our hearts and set our faces towards you like never before. God, send revival to First Church. And I felt like God answered me with this question of, if I send revival, how badly do you want it? Really, I I want it a lot. And then the question was posed to me, do you want it so badly that you could rejoice if I send it to another church? Do you want my revival so much? Do you want to see my spirit poured out on this earth so much that you're willing to rejoice if it starts somewhere else? And that challenged me. I'm not going to lie to you. It challenged my heart. You know, we've been talking about inclining my heart and guarding my heart. And then there was a whole new level that opened up as to what what do I define as our successes, our evidences of being a healthy church, and really how kingdom-minded are we? My prayer, by the way, is still that God begins sending revival right here right now. And I hope that you will join me in that prayer. But I had to I had an area of my heart exposed of wow. You see sometimes we get so wrapped up in what's happening in our little castle that we neglect the kingdom. See, I'm fully under the impression, and I believe completely that if we are obedient to the command of God for us to share His gospel and us to expand His kingdom and do kingdom work, if we're set about doing kingdom work, God will take care of the castle. If we do the kingdom work, guess what? God's going to bless this church. So that got me kind of stirring a little bit more as to some evidences or what do we define 
as evidences of a healthy church. And I want us to go again through these couple scriptures. Uh, the first scripture here, that the one that we've used the whole time, is out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We, we've used this passage. This is the third straight week now to challenge ourselves as to where is our heart? Where is your heart this morning? Uh, and that's what I was finding stirring and challenged in me this past week of truly where is your heart? And if we really want God to begin to dissect us, then be prepared because He'll reveal some things to you. Sometimes praying the prayer of God show me if there's anything in my life that's not of you is a dangerous prayer. God, reveal to me areas of my life. Reveal to me areas of my heart that you're not happy with, that do not match up with your will. That can be a dangerous prayer because God will answer that prayer. Because in the words of Max Licato, that God loves you just the way you are, but He's not content with leaving you that way because He wants you to be just like Jesus. And when, but when we pray, God, expose the shortcomings, dis, expose the dysfunction in our hearts. God is faithful and will answer those prayers. And sometimes it won't be the most comfortable thing for us. So I also want to inject these two questions again today to have in your mind as we go along. Number one, when we get done with this message, what is Jesus saying to me? What is Jesus saying to your heart? this morning and then number two what are you going to do with it with what he's speaking to you what are you going to do with it so another thing that i was challenged with was these these evidences of a healthy church and i've got five of them up here that i want us to look at and i'm going to tell you that this list is not an exhaustive list but i believe that these are yet are both evidences of a healthy church but can also be a symptom of dysfunction that masquerades as evidence. So this was from a church perspective, and God was challenging me. What, some of our, uh, our evidences of being a healthy church is attendance. How many people are in attendance? And now I'm not preaching against, I'm not preaching against any of these. Because our numbers, our attendance, tell a story. But they don't tell the whole story. Because you can have millions of people in your service and still be dysfunctional. Because if you're focusing just on numbers alone, then you're missing the point of what church is all about. So number one, attendance. Number two, finances. Growth in our finances. Listen, we want our finances as a church to increase so that we can do more, more for His kingdom from a financial standpoint. We want you to be good stewards of your finances we want to be good stewards of the church's finances so we can glorify God through those. But even if we're bringing in over budget each week, guess what? That tells a story. But it doesn't tell the whole story. We can have great finances and be dysfunctional as a church. The third thing, facilities. You can have great facilities. 
We've done a lot of work to our facilities over these past couple years. I love the facilities we have. They're beautiful. They're great. We put them to kingdom use, but you know what? We can have all the buildings. They can be as modern or as traditional as we want, but if we're hanging our hat on our facilities being what define us as a healthy church, we're missing the point. Great music. You can have great music. You've got great music. I mean, there's a weak link up here most weeks called the bass player, but you know, I mean, you know, we've got to keep them humble, right? You can have great music. You can sing. You can glorify God with your music. But just because you have quality musicians or quality voices or anything like that doesn't mean that you're a healthy church. And then you can have dynamic speakers. You can have the greatest orators in the world. You can have people that, that you're hanging on the edge of your seat listening to every word. Guess what? I can find that in a TED Talk. You can go onto YouTube and find people who are dynamic speakers. But just because you have a dynamic speaker or speakers doesn't mean that you're a healthy church. Now, again, these can be evidences. I'm not preaching against any of these, but I'm just saying that these can also can be symptoms of dysfunction or not having a right focus. But I think that there's a couple things that, uh, that we can see as true evidences of your church. Number one, souls being saved. If there are people in this church that are coming to know the Lord and give their hearts to Him, that will never be a symptom of dysfunction. So, I, again, what is Jesus saying to you and what are you going to do with it? I'm just going to ask you this question. How many people have you led to the Lord so far this year? Souls being saved is never going to be a symptom of dysfunction. Secondly, biblical hope and truth being proclaimed. Again, the dynamic speaker doesn't mean anything if biblical hope and biblical truth is not being proclaimed. You can see all of that that you want to in a lot of churches a whole lot bigger than this that say a whole lot of behavioral modification stuff and sprinkle in the name of Jesus every now and then. Is there true biblical hope? Is biblical truth being proclaimed in the church? And yes, let me put a little caveat, a little side note, a little asterisk to this here. Biblical truth and biblical hope is being proclaimed in love. Is being proclaimed in love that shows the grace, the mercy, and the goodness of God. And then thirdly, growing in Christ-likeness. It means you're maturing in your faith. You're growing closer to Jesus Christ. Again, going back to the Lakato quote, God loves you just the way that you are, but He is not content with leaving you that. He refuses to leave you that way because He wants you to be just like Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be going to chapter 18. We'll be reading a section from here, and we're going to talk about keeping our heart today. Because just as with there being a list of evidences that can also be symptoms for a church, 
And then true evidences, biblical evidences, there's also these type of elements for us personally. And that's what I want to spend the remainder of our time on this morning is challenging us of whether we're living out of our relationship from a place of evidences and symptoms or true biblical evidence. So Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So right here he's setting the table. One, a religious leader. The other, one of the bottom-rung dwellers on the social uh, ladder, so to speak. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray over the Scripture this morning in the message. God, I, I pray. Pour, pour us out, Father, and fill us with Your Spirit. God, for those who are here that are listening, God, I pray that we pour out every preconceived idea, every preconceived notion that we have of what spirituality may look like from a righteous, self-righteous perspective. And God, we allow You to fill us with Your Word, the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray that their ears be open, their hearts be open, their minds be open to receive every truth that You have to speak to us today. God, I pray for me that You would empty me of pride, You would empty me of arrogance, You would empty me of everything that could possibly hinder Your Word going out correctly and rightly this morning. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that You speak through me, use my voice as Your instrument this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. We will get back at some point to our Exodus study. Um, when that's going to be, I don't know. Just being honest with you, I'm just following God here to the best of my ability. But I know that He's laying some stuff on my heart, and I know that He has exposed some things within me, and I know that He wants me to speak some things to us as a church family. Over these next, and listen, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you over these next however many weeks, you are going to be offended. You're going to be challenged, and you maybe even at times will not like me. And I'm okay with that. Because we're going to... I, 
I feel like God is leading us into a season where He is going to deal with the unforgiveness in our hearts. Yes, you. If, you, if you're thinking, is He talking to me? Yes, I am. Is He talking to Himself? Yes, He is. Unforgiveness and bitterness is crippling the body of Christ. It is keeping us from our destiny. It is hindering His kingdom being exalted and expanded here in our community the way He wants it to be. And folks, if we're going to pray for revival, and and I would just honestly like to see your hands. How many of you would like to see revival in our church? How many of you would like to see revival in our community? What if that begins with you being willing to totally forgive. We know that God's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He can do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants. And I'm not saying that that is exactly what I... But what if? What if God in His sovereignty is saying that I'm waiting on this church to totally forgive, to relinquish the hurt, the offense, the pain, the all of the wrongs and atrocities that's been coming against I'm waiting for them to forgive others. I'm waiting for them to forgive their brothers and sisters. I'm waiting for them to forgive their families. I'm waiting for them to forgive their church leadership. I'm waiting for them to totally forgive. And then revival begins to break out. So we're going to look at Biblical total forgiveness. What it means to truly walk in total forgiveness over this next however many. <laughs> and you, those of you who know me well know me how much it pains me to say however many. I don't like that. But I thought what a great place to start. Thank you God for being so faithful that we're, that we're starting here, this keeping our heart. Because understand that when unforgiveness is present in your life, you're not keeping your heart focused on God. Unforgiveness and bitterness is a tool of the enemy to keep you separate from God. It is His way, His primary way of causing distance between you and your Savior. And that God's will that you're praying for for your life, God, show me your will. At least I hope that's what you're praying. If you're not praying that, start praying that. The fulfillment of being able to walk in the will and the plan that God has for your life is hindered by unforgiveness. You'll never walk in that if you have bitterness in your hearts. And I believe that God is shining a spotlight on that in our hearts, in our church, right now. And again, this is not something I would have chosen to lead us into. But this is what God's leading us into. And the moment that I'm not willing to lead you into what I feel like God is wanting for us is the moment that I need to walk out the doors. So let's start by addressing some of these personal things 
in our hearts that we see out of Luke. Because again, remember we covered inclining our hearts. We've seen that twice uh, the past two, week out of the, two weeks out of the book of Psalms. Lord, incline my heart, or I incline my heart towards you. Because that's not a natural state of our heart. It's not a natural disposition of our flesh to go, I am inclining myself to God, that I'm keeping my focus on Him, that I am staying steadfast with my heart's affections pointed straight towards Jesus Christ. That's not the way that our hearts are naturally drawn. It'd be so much easier if it were, wouldn't it? Like I just wake up of the morning and I'm just like, oh, presence of God, here I come. Oh, prayer time, here I come. Oh, holy, holy Bible, look out, here I'm coming. It'd be great. That was the inclination. But the inclination is when I wake up, I was like, oh, coffee pot. <laughs> oh, coffee pot, here I come. Oh, I should probably go pray. Oh, Facebook. Oh, news. See what's happening that's dividing the entire world today. So let's look at some things that our hearts, we need to keep. We, but we need to be aware of sometimes. right? Because sometimes, just like that list of evidences that could possibly be symptoms, none of those were bad. None of those were bad. But whenever they become the pinnacle and the goal, then we're missing the point. It's the same with our lives too. So let's look out of this passage some of the things in our personal life that can be either an evidence or a symptom. The first, falling into the performance trap. Or what I like to call checklist Christianity. Because guess what? Getting out of bed of the morning, going into prayer, going to read your Bible, making sure I'm paying my tithe. Didn't we just read something like that about the Pharisee out of Luke chapter 18? Oh, I pray, I study, I give my tithe, I do. I fast twice a week, I do all of these things. Okay, if your obedience to what God is calling you to do has been reduced to a checklist or a to-do list that you get some, some type of satisfaction by checking off or swiping off of your to-do list, then your focus is wrong. We can pray, but if it's not praying to draw nearer to God... And if it's praying because we know we should, then that's a symptom of dysfunction. It's not an evidence in your life. And again, these, these all fall under the same category. As, I'm not saying these are wrong. I'm just saying that if they become the pinnacle, if they become the high watermark, if they become the checklist type thing of, I'm doing this so I can be done with it and get it off of my conscious and out of my mind today, then our focus is wrong. But that performance trap of, I've got to do this, I've got to read so many chapters a day, I've got to spend so many minutes or so many hours. <laughs> Wait, who am I kidding? <laughs> so many minutes in prayer. I've got to make sure that I give of my tithe. I've got to make sure I give the offer. Oh, okay, we got something else coming. Okay, there's a mission. I've got to make sure that I'm being obedient to God by supporting them. Again, all of those great things. But if your relationship with God is being driven by this checklist, then your relationship is in peril. Your relationship is in danger. 
Secondly, standards of judgment. Listen, preacher, I know that I'm falling short. I know that I'm really not what I'm supposed to be, but have you noticed I'm not like them? Have you noticed that I'm not doing the things that so-and-so is doing? You may want to go talk to them first. And didn't we see that in the Pharisee also? Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like them. I'm going to update you on something here. When you stand before Christ on the day of judgment, and make no mistake, you will. All of us here will. We will stand before Christ in judgment. He is not going to be comparing you to anyone else. Just because you may have lived a quote-unquote better life than someone else still doesn't guarantee you that you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. I don't know about you, but the scariest passage in the Bible to me is, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You see, I'm not going to be judged by being better than someone else. I'm going to give an account for my life, for my obedience, for me being uh, in relationship with Him, for me living for Him. It's not about being better than someone else because, let's be honest, don't we, don't we use that as kind of a justification at times to feel better about ourselves? It's, a, it's like a projecting mechanism. It's like, we feel terrible about the things that we've done, but as soon as something or someone else who is worse than us is introduced, we're like, oh, whew. See, I feel better now. It's not about being better or worse than anyone else. It's about living your life at your level best for Jesus Christ and giving Him everything that, he ha that you have each and every day. Thirdly, our source of strength. Which source of strength are we dependent upon? Are we dependent upon His strength or our strength? You see in, parent, in, in the parentheticals right there, you see where I'm headed with this, and many of you probably aren't, aren't, aren't real happy with this. If you're living in your own strength, it's called not getting out of your comfort zone. God will not. He will refuse to live in your comfort zone. You may have heard it this way. You can't put God in a box. To live for God, to be obedient to Him, His calling and His purpose for your life will mean that you will be uncomfortable at times. Okay, see, sometimes you can say amen when a point is really true, even if we don't like it. Or for all of you under the age of 30 in here, you can look and go, oof. It's the same thing. Amen or oof. That's, I've, you know, I'm so hip on the lingo. 
But to live for Jesus Christ will be to live in moments of discomfort. You can't truly live for God and be comfortable at the same time. Not all the time anyhow, because God will ask you to do something you're uncomfortable with. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand in here, but I want to take our minds back to the question I asked just a little bit ago. Is How many people have you led to Jesus Christ this year? And most of us in here, probably all of us, are ashamed of that answer. I can tell you why you're ashamed of that answer. It's because to lead someone to Jesus Christ is uncomfortable. To have that conversation can be uncomfortable for us. So it's easier for us not to have that conversation and feel good about ourselves than to have that conversation and be worried if they're going to be offended. God is going to require us to get out of our comfort zone. But let's look at a few things here that are definitely true biblical evidences that were on there. That where our relationship is true. Number one, that we resemble Jesus Christ. That when someone looks at us, listens to us talk, sees how we treat people, the way that we interact, and maybe even more so, the way that we interact with people who don't believe the way that we believe, or don't see the world the way that we see the world, or have the moral guidance compass that we, we have, when they see that and they can see us resembling Jesus by being selfless, by being sacrificial, by willing to be second, to put the needs of others first, then that's when they're going to look at us and say, "I." and they may not even know that it's Jesus, but they're going to be able to look and see something different. So when they see you sacrificing, when they see you being selfless, when they see you putting yourself second, that's when they see Jesus the most in your life. Church, we've got to start resembling Jesus. No more, no more reasons, no more excuses, no more weak justifications for it. It is time for this church to resemble our Savior. Amen? We need to resemble Jesus. Secondly, we need to start, stop focusing on the sins of, our, of others. Stop focusing on the sins of others. Guess what? Their sin is not your concern. It's God's. I know it. I wish I had a little bit of help in here this morning. Their sin is not your concern. It's God's. So stop worrying about other people's sins. Start confessing your own. I, I spent some time in my office this morning before we came out here to start service, and I prayed. And I can't, I'm, I'm not proud to say that I, I don't pray this prayer often enough. But I was like, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for every area in my life that doesn't reflect you. And then I started confessing to sin, that God the sins that I could bring back to memory that I knew that I needed to have Him, have His grace and His love and His mercy flow over again. I needed the blood of Jesus applied to my heart again this morning. Stop worrying about the sins of others and start confessing your own. 
That is a true biblical evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thirdly, speak with discernment. For everything good and holy, please speak with discernment. Anybody ever made a statement or say something and then as soon as it finishes, you're like, yep, shouldn't have said that. And it just takes a moment. I, be I believe that we as created beings are created with certain filters. I believe that we need to have a filter like right inside of our ear to filter in the thoughts, to filter through the voices. You know, that's what the Apostle Paul would call taking every thought captive. But I also, I think there needs to be a bigger filter in between our brain and our mouth somewhere. Like, I'm having this thought, I think it should be said, but I need that filter in there to figure out if that's an inside thought or an outside thought. Some people are missing this filter. Some of us need to change the filter. And we got a little bit of an acrostic here, the need, N-E-E-D. I got this this week, so this is not original to me, so just so you know. Next slide. We're going to talk about the need. Before you say something, using discernment, ask yourself, is it necessary to say is it necessary to say this? Secondly, is it energizing? And by that, I mean, does it bring life to people? We've all been around. There's some of those people who just, you're around them, and they drain the life out of you. And if you don't know anybody like that, no, never mind. <laughs> but there's just some people you walk away from, you're like, I could run through a wall right now. They just like energize you. They, they just build you up. So is it necessary? Is it energizing? Is it edifying? Does it build up the person? Does it encourage them? Does it uplift them? Whenever I make this statement. And lastly, is it dignifying? Does it sound like Christ? Because we are His representatives here on this earth. So in our speech the discernment metric that we can use is, does it need to be said? Is it necessary? Is it energizing? Is it edifying? And is it dignifying? I'm going to ask our praise team, if they would, to come back up this morning. So with this message, with this lesson this morning, what is Jesus saying to you? What is Jesus saying to you? And secondly, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it?